to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is an amazing psalm. Uh, Charles Spurgeon called it the golden alphabet because it has 176 verses and they're arranged very uniquely. There are 22 sections of eight. And the reason that it's put that way in your Bible, and you can tell by the little eight verse brackets that you have with a little Hebrew letter on top of it most of the time, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are no vowels. Vowels are all gutturals. They're, they're spoken um, in the way that you talk. There's 22 consonants, and each one of the 22 sections is one of those Hebrew letters. What you can't see in the English is that in each one of those eight sections of eight, the first word, first letter of each word is the letter that is represented above it. So if, let's say it was an A, the first one, if we call it an A, every one of those verses, the first letter of the first word would start with that letter, and that's why it's unique. It's the golden alphabet. Um, it's amazing because Psalm 119 highlights the sufficiency of God's word. It's helpful and good for us in every single area of our lives. Um, the psalmist is so enraptured, or I should say emphatic about the word of God, um, that he describes it using eight different words, just to so, show the multifaceted sufficiency and power of God's word. Throughout it, almost in every section, he calls the Bible law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, word. I mean, there's just all kinds of angles that he wants us to come. But what he wants us to see is the power of the word of God. Amazingly, um, in this little section, verses 65 through 72, which is the, the Hebrew letter Tate, T-E-T, um, the first letter of every one of these verses is the letter that is the first letter in the word good. And what's thematic about this section is that very little word good. And not all of them are translated in English that way, but let me point them out to you because they're crucial in understanding this text today. Psalm 119.65 says, you have been good. I know it says, you've, it says you have, in verse 65 in the English I think it reads, you have dealt well, but the word actually is good. You are good to your servant. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge. 68, twice, you are good and you do good. Verse 71, it's good for me that I have been afflicted. Verse 72, the law of your mouth, although the English is better, says better than it's really good. That's how the psalmist looks at his life. Now, what is really unusual about this emphatic use of good is this. We usually think of good as when God gives us good prosperity and abundance and all that. But he uses this word freely in a context of affliction. You see, look at your text. Verse 67 and 71 uses the word affliction twice. See, we usually think that God is good when he brings peace but not pain. See, we think of God being good when things are going well, not when things are going wrong. But the psalmist is at a time where things aren't going so well. He's being afflicted. And although he doesn't describe for us in any detail what those afflictions are and who is afflicting him, here's what he says. It's good. Now, that is not a common perspective. 
But it was George Mueller's perspective. In this little section, the Tate section, I call it the George Mueller section. Why do you call it that, Pastor Walker? Well, let me tell you a little bit about George Mueller. He was a great man of God back in the mid-1800s. And God used him in Bristol, England to start orphanages for children. His motto was and his creed was that he would never ask anyone for a dime. But over the 40 years that he ran the ministry, tens of thousands of dollars came in to provide for orphans. You might say, well, that's really great. How many did he have? He have about 10 or 20 orphans? No, they, they, they erected five massive buildings that are still there today, and they had over 10,000 orphans. And if you ever read his biography, I can tell you story after story about George Mueller and how he, God used and answered his prayers, and he provided for those orphans for many, many years. And throughout all the years of his ministry, right by his side, for 39 years and four months, was his wife, Susanna. He said of her, what a very excellent Christian she was. If all Christians were like her, the joys of heaven, it, he said, would be found on earth far more in abundance than they are now. She is all I could have ever wished for. When she died, which was a, a very big heartache to him, he did her funeral message, which in and of itself is pretty amazing. And he did it from this psalm in verse 68. Here was his message, one line. God, you are good and you do good. Listen to his outline. He had three points. Number one, God was good and did good when he gave my precious wife to me. Point number two, God was good and did good when he left my precious life, wife with me for so many years. Listen to number three. God was good and did good when he took my precious wife away from me. One and two, we get. Number three, too often we do not. But for George Mueller, here's what he says, God is good when he took my wife away from me. The last week of his, her life, he was with her by his, her bedside repeatedly all throughout the day. And he said he sang this hymn to himself. The words go like this. Best of blessings he'll provide us, not but good shall e'er abide us. Safe to glory, he will guide us. Oh, how he loves. Here's a man in the worst tragedy and difficulty of his life, the most pain and affliction, but here's what he says. Not but good shall be abide us. See, he wrote in his journal after he di she died, my inmost soul was assured that however my loving father asked, acted, I should say, with his poor child, it would be for his good. George Mueller believed that no matter what he did, in his, his, what God did in his wife's life, whether he saved her or took her, here's what he was convinced of. It would be good. Are you convinced of that this morning? I don't know this morning for everyone here. I don't know what afflictions you face. I don't know what the difficulties that you're going through in your life. But here's what I know. God is good. He's good. Now you say, Pastor Walker, how is that possible? How can good and grief even go together in the same sentence? 
How can I respond to affliction as a Christian the way that George Mueller did? Well, the psalmist is going to tell us that what you and I need most, what we need most in our affliction is God's word. See, undoubtedly, if you're going through affliction, you will need friends and you will need family and perhaps a number of other things. But I would hear to tell you this morning, based on this section, that what you need the most, far more than any of those other precious things, is God's word. And the psalmist is going to tell us this morning, see, he's going to say, here's three reasons why, three reasons why that God's word is so vital and important in your response to afflictions. And I want to unpack them one at a time. The first one is this, the psalmist says, you need God's word most in your afflictions. You know why? Because his word is instructive, instructive. Look at the text in verses 66, 68, and 71. He repeats the same Hebrew word, teach me, he says, teach me. And then verse 71, that I can learn. It's the same Hebrew word, teach me. God, see, here's what he says, God, in my afflictions, I don't need just a text, I need a teacher. You know why God's word is absolutely vital in your afflictions? Because God wants to get into your life personally and do it through his word. It's how God speaks to you in your pain. C.S. Lewis said that God speaks to us in all kinds of ways, but he speaks most loudly through our pain. See, we don't need just a textbook. We need a teacher, and God is that teacher. In fact, the psalmist throughout all the psalms can't stop asking God to teach him. Teach him is in nine out of the 22 sections. It's used 12 different times. Here's what the psalmist says. I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn when I'm being afflicted. And he says, teach me, God. And he says, teach me in the face of sin. Teach me in the face of sorrow. Teach me in the face of selfishness. And on and on. Every time he uses teach me all the way through the Psalms, he's confronting something in his life. And in this time, it's suffering. Can I tell you this morning, in the school of afflictions, God's word is your only curriculum. So I often pray for you as God's people at Faith Baptist Church. When I pray for your needs... I will often pray this, Lord, don't let them miss any of the lessons that you want them to learn as they go through this difficulty. I'm actually more concerned as your pastor, not so much just for your health, but your spiritual health. And here's what the psalmist says, God, here's what I've learned. There are things I need to know. I need good discernment, good judgment. I need knowledge. What I need to know in my affliction is you, and I need to know your purposes, and I need to know what you're doing in my life. So teach me those things. But you know, honestly, isn't it true? We like to reverse those roles, don't we? We know that God should be the teacher and we should be the student, but you know what we really like? And we wouldn't say it out loud, nor would we frame it this way. We really want to switch it around and say, you'll be the teacher and God could be your student. Because when afflictions come, here's what we say. God, listen, I get an idea of what your definition of good is, but here's mine. So God, when I pray, let me teach you what I think you should do for me. Right? Here's my definition of good. See, God changed this, and God, don't let this happen. Please don't let it happen very long at the most, right? And so teach me. I want to teach God. I want to say, in the Academy of Affliction, God, I like to clep out of this course. Right? I I don't want to really pass. I don't want to have to go through the testing of it. 
And so we say, God, here's what's good for me. Get me out of it, and preferably now. God, I don't want to be afflicted, but if I have to have afflictions, that be really light and easy, not so bad, not life-changing, and pretty short-lived. Here's what the psalmist says. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Why? For I believe your commandments. It's so easy, isn't it? Haven't we all been down this way? When affliction comes, it's so easy to let our feelings run us and be orientated around those things in our afflictions. But you know what the psalmist says? Not me. No, I'm not controlled by feelings. I want to be controlled by truth because I believe your commandments. Listen, I know what my feelings are shouting to me, but I don't believe them. You know what I believe? I believe your commandments. And it's interesting because the word believe in Hebrew is only used in Psalm 119 in this singular verse. And the word believe means to prove to be firm. We would say today, here's what I, here's, say, I can't trust my feelings, God, but I can trust your word. Why? Because my feelings, they've proven to be wrong too often. But your truth is reliable. It's dependable. See, I can bank on it. You need God's word in your affliction. Why? It's the only source of reliable truth that you can actually bank on in your life. Can I tell you this? Don't trust your emotions. Can I say as nicely as I can, but as strongly? Please don't trust humanistic psychology. The church, by and large today, and many of God's people are believing a whole host of lies about what you should be feeling and thinking and doing. Don't buy into it. Young people, when you're going through affliction, don't ask your friends what to do. Please don't listen to cultural norms And what everybody else is doing, please most of the time do the complete opposite. Because they're not faithful. Those words of wisdom, if we could even call them that, are not true. What you need is God's commandments. Not just his suggestions, not just his advice. You need his commandments to tell you how to live your life. Why? Look at verse 68, because lies are coming. See, there are people in this world that are going to lie about you and they're going to lie to you. And the only way that you can ever combat lies when a smear campaign comes your way is if you are fortified with truth. See, here's what part of the affliction for the psalmist was that there were insolent people, people who were boldly rude, impertinent, disrespectful, in your face. Have you ever had that? People who said, oh, so-and-so, they're going through that trouble, and you know why? Let me tell you what I think why God's doing that to them. And they're going to tell lies about you, and they're going to tell, see, here's what I think is happening. It's a smear campaign. It says they're going to smear me with lies, the psalmist says. And the word smear in Hebrew is the word cover or coat something. See, they're going to try to cover your whole life, that your whole life is that way. And see, the only way that you can stand up when people lie to you or about you is if you have a life that's centered on truth. Because if not, you will be distracted from truth. And you will start believing the lies and you will start doubting yourself and you'll get yourself focused off of God and his goodness to people. And so the psalmist says, you know what you need then? Verses 69 and 70. God's word will teach you how to guard your heart. Listen to what he says. 
the insolent smear me with lies. Now notice the two times, but twice. Two contrasts. They're going to smear me. They're going to lie. But look how the word of God gives him truth and how to respond. But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Six times in the psalm, whole heart is mentioned in Psalm 119. And what it means, literally in the Hebrew, is not a divided heart. It means a singular heart. A singular heart that is focused on God. And it doesn't let people from the outside and lies that people tell get in and divide your heart into different categories. And so here's what he's saying. Basically, they're going to get you from, away from God's goodness and you're going to start listening to them and their false wisdom and you're going to have a divided heart. See, here's what the psalmist says. You want to know whether God is good and you're following him in your life and your word of God has its proper place? that you won't just be obedient when things are easy. You won't be obedient just when it's convenient, just when you're not tired, just when you have a good day. Things are going really right. See, here's what he says. You're going to be good all the time. Why? Because you have a wholehearted affection and devotion for God. It's not divided. It's not God sometimes and something else other times. Here's what the psalmist says. Look at it again. He says to us, see, the insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. I'm not going to let anybody get me away from obedience to your word. Why? Because look at my heart compared to theirs. I have a whole heart. They have a fat heart, literally. My heart is tender to the things of God, and their heart is tough to it. See, it's not just on the outside I do it, right? See, this is the difference. When God's word is in the right place in your life, you won't just respond externally correct. You will do it internally because you have a different kind of heart. See, the person that acknowledges God's goodness and his affliction, the person that has God's word in the right place in their life when things go wrong will not be moved because on the inside they have a different kind of heart, the psalmist says. I delight in your law. Let me tell you something about Christianity. Christianity is responding to your affliction. And it's not just a matter of doing God's word. It's delighting in it. See, oh, how I delight in your law, he says. They say this about me, and they tell me this, and this is a lie. But let me tell you what I delight in God. They delight in attacking me. I delight in obeying you. See, I'm not going to be moved by it. I'm going to be here. George Mueller had that kind of heart. He had a Bible-shaped, Bible-soaked, Bible-saturated heart, a heart that's greatest desire and his greatest delight was to please God, hear me, even when it cost him, even when he was attacked for it, even when it wasn't popular with others. So let me ask you, are you teachable in your afflictions? It's one of the first things out of your mouth, God, when things aren't going well is, God, please teach me. I don't want to come out the other side of this The same, I want to learn. God, I want to learn how to please you. I want to learn what you say is good. God, I want to learn what it means in my difficulties and in my afflictions, what would bring honor and glory to you. I don't want you to be the 
student master, I want to be the student. So not only do you need God's word in the middle of your afflictions because it's instructive, teach me, but also because, number two, it's corrective. Look at verses 67 and 71. Psalmist reads, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted. I might learn your statutes. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV when they try to sell you something? And they're try- maybe it's laundry soap or whatever it is, detergent. And they tell you, they show, oh, before, look how dirty this is. And then after, they say, oh, look how nice and spark- you know, sparkling clean it is. And, and in that sense, that's the kind of what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, listen, you know, before I was afflicted, let's, whatever the affliction, see, before this happened, here's what I was doing. He said, I went astray. But then he has, but now, see this contrast? See, this was what I was like before the affliction came. But after the affliction, this is what I became. See, we all need God's word to work in our lives. Why? Because when things, too often, when things are going well, we go astray. See, before I was afflicted, when I wasn't afflicted, when things were great, my wife was, my marriage, my husband was great, our kids were great, my job was great, I had all the money I needed to pay the bills, we were having a great time, things were going really well. See, when I was in the good lane that I think was good, I started to fade in my obedience. Because I started to go astray, and the word means to sin, to be an heir. And here's how he describes it. I didn't keep your word. Your word wasn't valuable to me. I didn't listen to it. I didn't didn't look for it for wisdom. I didn't look for it for guidance. See, I was doing my own thing. And see, what happens when good comes? Well, we take detours. I read an article this week called Detour to Death. A bus driver, driver in India, true story, was driving a bus, a large bus, must have been very crowded or overcrowded. 88 people were in it. He took a detour detour on a road that he had never traveled. Now, he must be paying out of his pocket or somehow it's arranged because uh, he wanted to save money on gas. The detour would only have saved him one and a half miles. But it was that important for him to save the money, so he did it. And he went down a road he'd never been down before, and he decided that as he was going downhill, he'd put it in neutral, thinking, I guess, to save more gas even, But suddenly, because he didn't know the road and how it went, he came to a sharp turn that he wasn't ready for, and he was going very fast in neutral. He got surprised by that turn he had to make, and therefore he shifted back into gear and put the brakes on. And when he did, every single person in the bus at 60 miles an hour went forward. Out of the 88 people, 57 died and 31 were injured. It was a disaster. See, he got off the road. Things were really good, and then he decided to get off the road, and it was a detour to death. This morning, I would like you to answer this question. Have you ever considered, seriously, have you ever considered that your affliction, whatever it is, whenever it's happened, as at least in part God's tool in your life to get you to rethink the road that you're on? What about the what and when? Have you ever figured out this, that the what and when of your affliction may be connected to the why? 
See, some of you are here this morning and you've taken a detour because in your search for happiness and pleasure, life was good, but you thought it could be better. So you got off the road when you were walking with God in obedience. So you got off the road onto the road of relationships. And you started dating someone who was unsaved because that would fill a void in your life. Or then maybe you started living together with them and it's led to living an immoral life and you've gone astray. See, you're... Your personal life GPS was leading you, and then it offered you on a certain turn, see that, like our GPS, take the shortest route, and you could take the shortest route to success. And you decided to take that road. You've never been down it before, but you listened to the GPS, and you got off that road, and it was filled with compromises to your commitment. And see, education, working extra overtime, to get the next advancement, to ne- ne- the next promotion, to get the more money. See, you've compromised, you've marginalized God, and he used to be, and you used to be here, and you used to be involved, and now you sit, and you don't sit here often because you can't, because you've taken a detour, and it leads you down a road, and it's changed all of that. But like most people on roads they're not familiar with that are detours, you didn't realize it may have been shorter, but you didn't see the potholes. And you didn't understand that easier and better meant disaster. And you never considered the danger or the pain that would cause you or perhaps even cause others. And I've talked to people who've been on detours for a long time. And I can tell you this, you will feel lonely at one point when you put everything into a relationship and it's wrecked and you no longer have it, you are afflicted. See, now the shame of feeling over what you did while you were on the detour, it haunts you. You come to church and you're hoping that nobody knows. Now the fear you face about, I've gone down this road so long and so far, can, is there really possibly, can I ever get back? Would they even want me back? And you're frightened. You know why? Because you're afflicted. But Psalm 67 has two beautiful words that offers rays of hope. But now. See, before I was afflicted, I took the detour. I went astray. I got into my own thing. I got off the road and I got away from God. See, that's what happened. But the affliction came in my life. God brought the affliction And see, he's used it to turn me around. The scripture has redirected me back onto the highway of holiness. And he says, but now I keep your word. I wasn't keeping your word. But the affliction got my attention and has brought me back to God. See, maybe, just maybe God brought you here today in this place, in this time for this sermon. Why? Because this is your but now moment. See, he brought you here because you clearly understand what the before is all about. But you're wondering, can there be an after? Is there a road back? Is this a dead-end detour that I'm on, or can it be different? And it really doesn't matter. Can I be honest with you? It doesn't matter whether you got off the road just a few days ago and it's only been a flat tire in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been off for weeks or months and you're really pulled over the side, and your engine's overheated in your life, and you got the hood up, and the steam's pouring out. See, it may be even worse than that. Perhaps you've been down this road, and it's been years longer than you care to remember, and maybe it's not even a flat tire. It's not that you're overheated, but you've had a head-on collision, and you think, listen, I think my life has been totaled, Pastor Walker. 
God says, I don't care where you've been, how long you've been down this road, but now. Can I say it reverently? God's word is like triple A. You're on the side of the road, they'll meet you anywhere. And they'll meet you anyhow, anytime. Triple A costs, and so does God's, because you know what? It costs the blood of his son, but he paid it. He paid it. You know why? Because here's what he says. You're on the side of the road. I've got the service and the repair for you. I can get you off the side of the road, and I can get you back on the right road if you'll come back to me in my word. See, here's what the psalmist says, verse 71. It's been good for me. Wouldn't you like to be able to look back a few months from now and say, you know what, I've been on that road so long, and now I've been back for a while, and let me tell you this, it was good for me. It was good for me I was afflicted. That scary diagnosis I got at the doctor's office, it was good for me. You know why? Because it woke me up to my real spiritual condition. It's, you know, letting, letting me let go of that job and get fired from that job or laid off or whatever it was, see, it was good for me because now I really know how much I need God every day. See, it was good for me. That major heartbreak in my life and that relationship that failed, it was good for me that I broke up with that guy. You know why? Because now I've learned that the greatest satisfaction in my life can only come from loving God and obeying him supremely. See, now I've learned, that's what he says. And maybe your but moment, but now moments today because you're gonna say, now I've learned that he was right about my marriage. He was right about what really matters most. I thought this was where I should put all my time and energy. But now I realize, but now I realize those things don't really matter as much as I thought they did. See, now I know, but now, see, now I know what true commitment to God. I know what wholeheartedness actually looks like when you do it. Not just playing the game and showing up once in a while at church and trying to be religious. No, I think, you know what? I've been, it's good for me I've been afflicted. Because now I keep his word. See, you need God's word the most in your afflictions. You know why? Because it's instructive. Number two, because it's corrective. And lastly, because it's transformative. Verse 72 reads, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Did you notice the progression to the psalm? See, this part of the song, see, it's a progression about how he looks at and responds to the word. He says, first of all, I believe it. Second of all, he says, now I keep it. Third of all, I want to learn it. And lastly, in verse, he says, now I delight in it. You see what it is? It was what was helpful to him before, but now it's his life. He's what he values the most. We would say today, he has found God's word to be his treasure. He can't get enough about it. Remember those days in your life? Remember when you first became a Christian and you started reading the Bible and you started having these things and you, start, you were so excited about being in church and what could you do? And you got into the Bible and you were reading it and studying it and memorizing it. Where did it go? Why is it boring to you? Why? Because you haven't turned to it in your afflictions and you've strayed from its path, but not the psalmist. He's been transformed by it on the, from the inside out. On the internet, I looked it up. The most valuable book in the world. The Leicester Codex was the scientific journal of Leonardo da Vinci. They had pictures of it. All of his drawings 
about all the things that could fly and all the things centuries before we ever did it. His journal went for millions of dollars. The copy of the Gutenberg Bible, there's only 1,480 of them printed hundreds of years ago. 48 copy remains. If you have one of them in good condition, you could get $5.4 million for it. The most valuable book in the world is a copy of the gospel of Henry the Lion, who was a famous person in the 1400s. His copy still remains from in the 1400s. And if you could get it, it's worth $11.4 million. But you know what the psalmist says? That's nothing. That's pennies. You know what he says? I have come to, through my afflictions, when God has worked in his word into me and changed me, you know what I've come to realize? That the scriptures are invaluable. And he says, here's the word I have. It's better. It's better. It's the same word for good. Ready? Go home today and remember this. The Bible is gooder. It's gooder. It's gooder than all the things. It's better than millions, $11.4 million. I thought about it. What would you do after church if I said, every one of you, I'm giving you $11.4 million? I wrote a list. I would start off with two semi-truck loads of Mountain Dew parked in my backyard. (laughs) And after I got the important things out of the way like that, think of the car you could buy. Houses, vacations, retirement, you would be 30 and you say, I'm done working. All the things that you could buy. And then I said this, you can have the 11.4 million or you can have this. Which one would you take? Can I tell you this? You'd be a fool to take the money. But see, maybe you can't see that. Maybe you can't feel that, but the psalmist could. You know why? It changed him. It transformed him. It was better. He couldn't think of anything that he could buy with money that would be possibly better. And not only just having it, here's what he's saying. You know, under what he's, living under the authority of God's word is gooder. God telling me what to do with my life. It's better. It's better than calling the shots myself. It's better than going on the detour to death. It's better than anything I can have, anything the world could offer me. It's better. And don't give me the 11.4 million. Give me the Bible. Let me be a man or a woman of the book. Because only then, only then can you get what only God can give, and that is the good life. No, the real good life. The one that money cannot buy. See, maybe God brought you here today to say this. It's time for me to go get off the road I'm on and say, God, use these afflictions. Bring my heart and life back to you. Give me a whole heart for you, God. Will you listen today? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Providence, I believe in it. I believe that God brings people, He orchestrates it all. And I believe you're here and you heard this message today.
because he wants to talk to your heart through his word. And he wants to speak to you and say, listen, I know you've gone astray like sheep. But as 1 Peter 2.24 says, now you can return to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Would you turn back today? It's time to get off that road, back on the road of righteousness. It's, it's time, isn't it? See, he brought you here. He doesn't want you to, your detour to end in disaster or death. He brought you here today. Say, turn around. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know where you are and what you're doing and where the road has taken you. But wherever you are, no matter how far down that road you've gone, he will and we will take you back. That's love. That's grace. Truthfully, it's all of us. We all have gone down that road. Maybe different ways, different links. But can I tell you this today? He says, listen to my word Let me teach you. Let me correct you. Let me transform you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be someone to say, as a child of God, one who knows Christ as your Lord and Savior, Pastor Walker, I've been astray. It's time to turn around, make a U-turn. I want to go home. I want a whole heart for God. Pray for me. With no one looking, would you put your hand up, please? And then put it back down. I'll pray for you as a group as we close today. Anyone? Thank you for your hand. And uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone? Perhaps you're here today and you say, Pastor Walker, I've, I've been down the road too long, the wrong roads, And I've already experienced that. that, You know what? But it's because I've never come to know God. I've never come to realize that Jesus died for me and rose again to pay the penalty for my sins. I never have seen him as my only Savior and Lord, but I need to. And if I ever want to have a relationship with him, I need to give my heart to him, my whole heart to him. I've never done that. But this morning I recognize I'm a sinner. I need to repent of my sins and give my life fully to Jesus that he can teach me how to follow him. I've never done that, but I need to. I want to this morning. Would you just raise your hand with no one looking, and I'll also pray for you as well. Anyone? I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior this morning. Pray for me. Just slip it up and put it down, and I'll pray for you in a moment as well. Anyone? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, or if you didn't, but you need to, walking in an aisle never does anything on its own. But if you want to walk here and and shake my hand, solidify what God's doing in your heart today, and I'll have someone take a few moments and pray with you and help you, because you can't do this, nor should you try on your own. That's why we need church. That's why we're a community. That's why you should stick around for small groups because we turn around and walk this road together. Would you do that and come as we sing our last stand, our last song today? Father, we know that you're here. Many raise their hands today. Father, let us help them. Let them help. Let us help them by praying with them and 
standing beside them and walking with them as they walk the road back. Father, thank you for working in their hearts and many others. I pray that your word would turn people's hearts around today, that we might marvel at the changes, the transformative power of your holy word. Do that for your glory even now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.